This episode is brought to you by DNA Fit, providers of state-of-the-art genetic testing. Their services build a roadmap for your individualized health, fitness, and lifestyle goals by testing the genetic markers that make you unique. As a podcast listener, you get 30% off by going to dnafit.com and using the code PRIMALBLUEPRINT at checkout. Also brought to you by Primal Mayo. Made with pure avocado oil, organic cage-free eggs, rosemary extract, vinegar derived from non-GMO beets, and a dash of salt, you can turn any traditional dish into a superfood with just one serving. Healthy mayo, who knew? The following Mark's Daily Apple article was written by Mark Sisson and is narrated by Brock Armstrong. 10 Primal Foods You Aren't Eating Enough Of For the most part, your diet seems pretty solid. You're eating eggs on a regular basis, you got like six ways to make really good cauliflower, that subtle humming reverberating throughout the house is just your chest freezer full of half of a grass-fed cow. Leafy green vegetables are staples, sweet potatoes appear post-workout, and you're first in line to buy fresh wild salmon when it's in season, plus extra for that uh, chest freezer. All your bases are covered, right? Well, maybe not. From all the years I've been doing this, I've spotted a few consistent blind spots in the diets of the primal community. In today's podcast, I will reveal the 10 primal foods that you probably need to eat more often. After each one, I'll let you know the easiest and tastiest way I've found to integrate said food into your diet. No excuses. Let's get to it. First up is chicken liver. Beef and other ruminant liver is often called nature's multivitamin, and for good reason. It provides about a week's worth of preformed vitamin A, retinol, and copper, while being perhaps the best source of B vitamins in town. Only problem? That's a lot of vitamin A and copper. You can't, or at least shouldn't, eat it too often. A quarter pound, maybe a half pound per week is just about enough. Any more is probably a bit much. This focus on beef liver also keeps a lot of people from eating what is in many respects a separate yet equal liver, chicken. Lower in vitamin A and copper, but still a fantastic source, chicken liver can be consumed more regularly than beef liver. Plus, chicken liver is even higher in folate and about equal in zinc than beef liver. Another benefit of chicken liver is that it's relatively mild. Even the liver-averse who've tried and failed to enjoy beef or lamb liver often find they can eat chicken liver just fine. Just make sure to select the darkest livers you can find, bordering on burgundy in color. Avoid the pale livers. How to do it? Well, chicken liver is great sautéed quickly with ginger, shallots, and garlic with a splash of rich chicken stock that's been reduced to a syrup and a dash of lemon juice. Salt and pepper to taste. Next up is Brazil nuts. Selenium is a tricky mineral. We need it, but its presence in food depends entirely on its presence in the soil. And there's kind of a worldwide shortage of soil selenium right now. 
So even if the USDA claims lamb liver is rich in selenium, if that animal was grazing on selenium-deficient soil, the liver's not a reliable source. That's the thing about Brazil nuts. They hail from a notoriously selenium-replete region. Just a couple nuts provide more than enough selenium. However, some are scared off by the phytic acid. Others worry about the linoleic acid. Or maybe it's the radiation, or the mold, or the excessive amounts of selenium. The risks are overblown. Besides, you're not eating these nuts for the calories. You're eating one, two, maybe three at a time for the selenium. If you're looking to maximize your nutrition, these are essential nuts. How to do it? Eat a small handful a couple times a week, or one to three each day. Store in the freezer and grab Brazil nuts in the shell if possible. Next up, small oily fish. Small oily fish, sardines, small mackerels, smelts, anchovies cover just about every primal base. To wit, they're low on the food chain, meaning they're a more sustainable source of calories and have had less time and inclination to accumulate marine toxins and heavy metals. They can be consumed whole, meaning they provide calcium from their bones, ample micronutrients, and all sorts of fermenting goodness from whatever the fish ate, which is probably algae or something, which makes them vegan, I think. They're also a great source of omega-3s, which we all need, even if we're eating low omega-6. Furthermore, said omega-3s are more stable when consumed in the whole package, like the whole fish. And lastly, they're cheap, at least for now. Don't wait until the foodies latch on and the price jumps. Eat them, guys. How to do it? Salt, pepper, lemon juice, fresh herbs, I like tarragon or oregano, olive oil, and a hot grill. One, two, maybe three minutes aside, depending on the size. Next one is blackstrap molasses. It's a sweetener, yes. It comes from sugarcane, sure. With less sugar than either white sugar, brown sugar, regular molasses, or dark molasses, but far more minerals and electrolytes, this isn't your mama's sugar. It's your great-grandpappy's sugar, the stuff he'd pour slow over his grits, or steel-cut oats, or cream of wheat, or insert regional porridge here. <laughs> See, sugarcane is a plant with roots that stretch six meters down into the soil to extract nutrients. It puts hair on your chest, stuffs potassium in your serum, shoves magnesium past your cellular membranes, and makes a killer barbecue sauce. Eating just a couple tablespoons of blackstrap molasses gives you more than twice the potassium of a banana, more calcium than a cup of raw spinach, and almost 100 milligrams of magnesium. Blackstrap's got so much potassium that it's actually caused hyperkalemia, so don't go crazy with it. A tablespoon goes a long way. How to do it? A tablespoon taken straight, if you're brave, or mixed with milk, animal, coconut, or almond of your choice if you're not brave. I also use it on the rare occasion I make an energy drink for extreme physical pursuits. That drink contains raw honey, coconut water, sea salt, and blackstrap molasses. Next up is extra virgin olive oil. 
Even though I've tried to reassure you folks years ago, some people are still convinced extra virgin olive oil is terrible for cooking, oxidizes as soon as you open the bottle, and contains too many polyunsaturated fats to be good for you. As much as I love coconut oil, macadamia nut oil, grass-fed butter and ghee, and all the other fats that mainstream maligns, I always return to a good bottle of Evo. Evo. Evo? <laughs> Just because it's a darling of the conventional health community doesn't mean it's overrated. It's not. So, here goes. Olive oil is remarkably stable in the presence of heat. Olive oil is primarily monounsaturated fat, and you can confirm this by sticking a bottle in your fridge. See how it solidifies after half a day? <laughs> That's the MUFAs. Extra virgin olive oil doesn't oxidize as quickly as you'd think. And you know the expensive bottle you just bought burns the back of your throat? That's not rancidity. Those are polyphenols, which are a good thing, and they protect the oil from oxidizing. How to do it? Toss with salads. Pour into and drink from tablespoons, and make sure to slurp to really taste it, and use for light to medium sautéing. I've even fried thin-cut Yukon Gold potatoes in extra virgin olive oil, the Californian stuff from Trader Joe's to be exact. They were great and didn't even smoke. Next on the list is blueberries. I'm a sucker for blackberries and really great meaty strawberries, but blueberries aren't far behind. And in a head-to-head-to-head -to -head -to -head competition, blueberries win out on all health benefits. I've seen Kaiser Permanente posters that basically amount to close-ups of moisture-flecked blueberries. Everyone agrees these guys are healthy. They're so good for us that people often use blueberries as a measuring stick for food's healthfulness. Ten times as many antioxidants as blueberries, the ad for the superfood du jour cries out. Yeah, blueberries can improve blood pressure and arterial stiffness in postmenopausal women with hypertension increase anti-cancer natural killer cell count, and reduce arterial stiffness in both sedentary men and women. Induce anti-inflammatory effects in endothelial cells. And even if they weren't so good for us, even if they were just neutral sources of a few calories of fructose and glucose, they are dang delicious. There's nothing quite like a taut berry exploding between your teeth, coating your tongue with tangy sweet nectary explosions. Tis the season here in the US, so go get you some. How to do it? Fresh and in season is best. If you go to the farmer's market, hit the stands as the market closes for the last minute deals. Some stands also give jam berries for cut rate prices. Frozen blueberries are also great, and there's actually interesting research suggesting that the ice crystals in frozen blueberries rupture cell walls and make the anthocyanins more bioavailable. Next one up is oysters. Oysters have a long and storied reputation as potent aphrodisiacs, and there's something to it. Oysters are the richest source of zinc a mineral that humans need to make testosterone. If you're deficient in zinc, eating zinc-rich foods like oysters will boost your testosterone level. Red meat is also a good source of zinc, but there's something special about a half dozen of briny oysters served with lemon. 
Every time I hit the farmer's market and the oyster guys there, I eat a tray and it just energizes me. Is that peer-reviewed? Well, no, but so what? How to do it? Oyster stew, schmoyster stew. Pop them open and eat them raw. Trader Joe's also carries a great smoked oyster in BPA-free packaging. And next, mussels. Two shellfish on the list, Sisson? <laughs> What's the deal here? Is it really necessary? Well, yes, and here's why. Mussels are one of the best sources of manganese, a mineral that helps oppose iron overload and figures prominently in the production of a vital endogenous antioxidant that protects against the kind of oxidative stress that leads to diabetic complications. Whew. <laughs> Most people get manganese through whole grain intake, but our pre-agriculture coastal living ancestors likely obtained their manganese through shellfish consumption. I suggest we do the same. Since you're probably not eating grains, you should probably eat mussels, because you only need an ounce of them cooked to hit your daily requirements. How to do it? I know it can be disappointing when you pay 20 bucks for a bag of beautiful black shells only to end up with shriveled little teaspoons of chewy meat, but they are worth the few minutes it takes to cook them properly. Here's what to do. Get some aromatics, like garlics, shallots, onions, leeks, the kind of smelly-in-a-good-way vegetable, and cook until soft, in olive oil or butter in a pot. Add a splash of broth, white wine, coconut milk, hard cider, and orange juice, lemon juice mix, or even just water. Not too much, maybe a quarter cup per pound, as mussels naturally expel a lot of liquid. Bring to a boil, add mussels, and cover. Once the mussels start to open, give it another minute or so, and then enjoy. And drink the liquid. Next on the list, fermented food. I'm keeping this general because the genre is so broad, and not everyone can eat or enjoy dairy or kraut or natto, but everyone can enjoy something. Me? My favorite is a good bowl of grass-fed, full-fat yogurt, possibly littered with blueberries, blackberries, nuts, and sometimes a drizzle of raw honey. I'll also drink kefir from time to time. When I get around to it, I'll whip up a batch of sauerkraut and have enough for a few weeks, until it runs out and I drag my feet for another few months. If I'm ever in an Asian market, I'll pick up a jar of kimchi. I also grab natto whenever I see it. My point is, I've always got something fermented in my fridge ready to be eaten. Probiotics, even my own, don't replace them. Why? Especially when they're homemade, fermented foods are rich sources of diverse and often unknown strains of probiotics. No batch is the same, so nothing else can replicate it but that specific batch. Some would say that makes it inherently risky, but as long as you're thriving on the stuff, I'm not worried. Heck, I even like the idea of playing God and creating my own unique strain via natural selection over thousands of generations. How to do it? Yogurt, kefir, sauerkraut, kimchi, and pickles are relatively easy to make at home. To eat? Well, you just eat. And finally, number 10, sea vegetables. Iodine is a primal bugaboo. 
Most of you are probably using fancy pink sea salts with added iodine and avoiding processed food made with the standard iodized salt. All good moves, but you still need that iodine. I'm not saying you're going to suffer from regressive cretinism, but what about your thyroid hormone production? What about the IQ of your gestating child? Sea vegetables like kelp, kombu, or wakame are the best sources of iodine in the world. The Japanese eat a ton, so much so that their gut bacteria have learned to efficiently digest the otherwise hardy seaweed polysaccharides. Not everyone should eat that much. We should, however, be eating some. How to do it? Anytime you make broth, add a slab of dried kombu. The iodine and the other sea minerals will leach into the liquid. As I said earlier, these are the dietary blind spots I'm seeing out there. It's not true for everyone, and your standard primal way of eating is usually quite complete. But I'd guess that almost everyone out there could use a little more of something on this list. But let's hear from you folks. Am I right? Was I wrong? What are the food you see primal people forgetting to eat? Let me know over at MarksDailyApple.com. And thanks for listening, everyone.